Hey friends, I wanted to fill you in on, well, let's just talk about the Amplify framework really quickly. There are four facets to it. The first is the message. Now I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. The second is the 11 mind shifts that you need to make to succeed in the new information and influencer economy. That's really what we're involved with when you're sharing your heart message with the world. Uh, the publishing game has changed, so we talk all about that in that part of the framework. The third part of the framework is when we walk through the different forms of media that you use to amplify your message. That's where you see the stairs and that graphic where you start going deeper in the funnel. Uh, that's where you really learn how to turn it from a book into a course and into coaching. And we talk about blogging and podcasting and email and texting and memberships and all of these other things, even keynote talks and masterminds that you can use to amplify your message. So that's part three of the framework. So we've gone from the message to the mind shifts to the media. And then finally, you know, after all of that's done, we step into that fourth part of the framework, which is the methods. That's the habits that you need, the seven different disciplines that we talk about. How, how do you actually get the work done? How do you, every single day or five days a week, whenever it is that you're working, what are the practices that you need to implement in order to, to let the work flow? to turn the spigot on, the faucet, and have this great stuff come out into the world. Now, uniquely, all of those are skills that we can teach you except for the message. The message, part one, is really something we, we can help you clarify it, we can help you articulate it, but the message itself has to be something that is yours that I really believe God gives to you. Now, often the way that you acquire that message is you walk through a difficult, painful season. You walk through some struggle. Uh, you might have this predisposition to teaching this message, but then you know something really brings up the importance for you to share that message, uh, often through a struggle. And then you find out there are other people that are dealing with the exact same thing and you meet them in the place of grace. One of the difficult aspects of the message is that there can be some shame involved. Uh, there can be some guilt involved. You might even disqualify yourself because of what you've done. Yet, ironically, that pain point is the platform for the message. Now, let me give you kind of a big warning right here. Uh, today, I've got my friend Paul Talley on. Uh, you've heard Paul before. He's talked about their message, Living 180 Ministries. He and his wife, Susie, run this incredible marriage ministry. When, when Paul was on before, we really talked about uh, how they had all this content that they could then share in other forms to help more people. We were very practical about that. But but I asked him, hey, let's, let's talk on this episode about your message. And, and I'm going to tell you, like I'm giving you all this fair warning because it's, it's not going to be G-rated. So if you're listening and you're in the kitchen and you got this on, you know, and they're kids, you, like you might want to put the headphones on or just press pause and then come back later. If you're driving and there are people in the car with you, like you might want to just, because I've, I've told them like, don't censor it. Let's just talk about it. And so that said, like in, yeah, we'll run a commercial right now. Uh, and after that commercial, like we're coming back and it's it's hot. So you, you got like 60 seconds of a commercial here about the coaching program or whatever else that you know we're running in the post-edit. And then we're gonna talk about Paul's story. 
I am holding in my hand the newest book, Process Over Permission. It is your, I'm just reading it right off the cover here, long subtitle, but it tells you what it's going to do. Your 11-point plan to make the publishing game work in your favor and multiply and monetize your message. Now, here's what I would love to do. Ship you this book. Uh, send it to you. I've already bought the book for you. It's absolutely free. It is sitting in our shipping department downstairs. We office out of the house and we have an entire setup down there. Uh, I would love to ship it to you. You pay the shipping and handling. I will send you the book. The link is down in the show notes. Here's what you're going to learn. It's just what the subtitle says. It's an 11 point plan to make the publishing game now work in your favor. You might've felt like you wanted to write a book or you might've thought, hey, I've got an idea, a message to share with other people. You might've even thought, hey, this is something people need to know, but you're not sure how to get started. Or if you got started and even got that thing on paper or in your computer somewhere, how would you even get it out there? Well, this book is going to outline the process that I would use, the processes we actually do use even now to move the message from idea to print, to course, to coaching, to blog posts, to podcast, to all the other things without doing more work. In fact, once you understand the process, you can actually do less work and achieve more. And I tell you this, now is the best time to do this. The technology, the industry, so many things have changed so that now all of this works in your favor, even if you've never done this before. So I would encourage you, the link is down in the show notes, process over permission, your 11 point plan to make the publishing game work in your favor and multiply and monetize your message. You can do it, we'll help. The book is down in the show notes. We bought it for you. Pay the shipping and handling. It's on the way. Just tell us where to send it. Okay, Paul. So let's talk about the message and how people disqualify themselves and how they shouldn't and how often. Now, I'm not saying they don't need to heal. I'm not saying they don't need to walk through some stuff. I'm not saying they don't need to pay their the time that it takes to get themselves whole. But let's talk about your story, you guys do some high level marriage and sexual addiction counseling. And, um, you know, my understanding is like, you didn't just go to college for that. Like you've got the qualifications and the credentials. So fair, you know, to be clear, like there's yeah. some certifications there, yeah. but, um, yeah, my master's degree in theology didn't, didn't prepare me to, um, be able to help people with sexual addiction. You're right. So, so let's talk about them. Like, where does the message come from? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the, the, I'm just going to start kind of in the beginning. The message started for me um, when I was a young kid, which is typical. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll classify myself. I don't like putting titles on other people, but I don't mind with myself. I would never say this about someone else, but I'm a recovering sex addict. been sober since 2004. Um my sexual addiction started when I was, which is typical for those who identify as a, having a sexual addiction. Uh, I got exposed to pornography age 10, 11, uh, up in the tree house. Someone brought a magazine and... Man, that uh, is the story of so many. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it was older kids. Um, it was a two-story two tree house and the younger kids, 
uh, had the, the higher level and the older kids. And, and so I really didn't get a full disclosure or, or uh, be able to see it. Um, but I got a taste, enough of a taste to it, uh, which did something inside of me. And, and then I just throughout the years got exposed to it from different times, finding torn up magazines in the woods several times. Stuff that I wasn't even looking for, but it was there. It was available. Um, and then I had uh, found a stash when I was um, 13, 14. Found a stash that I began to look at uh, magazines. I'm, I'm, I'm an old fart. Uh, there wasn't internet back then. And I know for if young people, they can't believe there was a time there wasn't internet, but there wasn't. Right. So your only uh, exposure... You didn't carry it around in your pocket um, like you do today. You had to get a magazine. And so I found a stash of magazines that I would look at at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and when I say that I'm a recovering uh, sex addict, my main addiction was to masturbation. Pornography was a means to an end. Um, and a lot of people don't talk about that. They talk about their addiction to pornography or their addiction to strip joints or addiction. my addiction was to masturbation. That's probably a little, probably a little bit more honest about it because Absolutely. there would be no, I mean, what's the purpose of looking at the pornography? Yeah. I mean, it gets a little well, bit more. I, I, I've worked with many, many men that there are men that only masturbate, never have looked at pornography in their life. Um, but we've, I've know other men that look at pornography all the time and never masturbate. So there's different variations oh. uh, to that. Um, there's actually 18 to, it's changing all the time, 18 to 20 different sexual addictions. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. And so when people hear sexual addiction, they either say it's excuse, you know, celebrities say I'm sexual addict, you know, so they think it's excuse. Um, and But there is, it's a, it's a very complicated world. I was trained by Patrick Carnes, who I call um, the you know, the godfather of sexual addiction. He hates that terminology. I quoted him in my book and I had to get approval of what I said about him. So I finally, and kept saying, can I say he's the godfather? Can I say this? Can I say the guru? And then kept going, I said, can you just write what I can say? So they finally sent me back a snippet of how I could classify Patrick Carnes, but he's the, he's the best. Um, and just really changed, studied. Um, I know how I got sober, but I didn't know how to help other people get sober. Um, and so he taught me how to do that uh, through the ITAP, the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Got my certification there and was able to start because people that came saw us after my story was so public because my sexual addiction turned, I mean, my exposure to pornography turned into a sexual addiction where I was looking at pornography a couple times a day, masturbating two or three times a day for several years. Uh, which um, in the middle of all that, I was, and this is another thing that's probably not norm, uh, I was uh, molested by a woman. Um, I was 14, going on 15, already working a full-time job. Um, she was the day shift manager. I was the night shift manager because I was going to high school. I'd get out of school, come and at the Deweener Schnitzel in Centerpoint, Alabama. And she started lingering over and started what I now know grooming me um, for a sexual encounter. And so about six months into that, she started 
offer to drive me home late at night instead of having my parents come pick me up or me even literally walking home, um, which was crazy today, but it wasn't back then. You just walk home or hitchhike home yeah, and it was no big deal. Uh, so I did it all the time. But she started running by and one night, instead of going down the turning to go down the street, she went straight and she literally started taking my clothes off. Now, I was addicted to pornography and masturbation, fantasizing about this. This is my number one fantasy. Um, and so for many, many years until I got into some therapy for some other things that I did, I realized that that was abusive, uh, what she did. Because um, I wasn't successful. I'd never done that. didn't know what to do. She was trying to help me, and it just got messy before anything happened. Um, and then literally was thrown off of her. Um, she kind of got halfway dressed back and, and drove me right up the street to my house and threw me out of the car, literally. Opened, leaned across. I wanted to talk. Didn't know what was going. I was an old preacher boy. I didn't know she was going to be pregnant or whatever, even though no penetration happened or whatever. I was just scared to death. Didn't know. She didn't want to talk. She leaned across, pulled open the door, and literally pushed me out the door. To this day, I can smell the dew because it was already 1 o'clock in the, in, the, in the morning by yeah. the time I got home. Dew's already falling. Smell the wet dirt. And people that have had traumas like that can identify that you can smells or senses or noises trigger you back to that. And that's what it is with wet soil for me. Um, but through therapy, I was able to see that that was, I mean, she was 21, 22 years old. I was 14 years old. That's an authoritative rape type of deal. That's someone that had authority over you, taking advantage of you. Even though, that I, even though I was willing yeah. because of my sexual addiction, it still does not give her the yeah, right. Yeah, kids to, can't consent. That's and, exactly yeah, right. That's... Where I really, when I was going through therapy, um, for some other things that went on to try to save my marriage, one of my boys was 14 years old. And I knew several people that were in their 20s. And I'm going, man, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, you could see the I could see the, the connection. Age, yeah. That's wrong. That's abusive. Yeah. What happened to me. Um, and But it's interesting the stage of life that one of my boys was in when I was going through therapy. The reason why I went through therapy... I hid that thinking ignorantly as a preacher boy, as soon as I got married and you just run around naked and have sex, you know, that my, I wouldn't need pornography. I wouldn't need masturbation. I'd be having sex all the time with my wife. And I laugh about that now because that's, that's not the way it works. Uh, first step was I thought I'd go to Bible college, learn more about God and that would go away. And it did for a while. Um, but my faithful friend, as I call about it in my book, my faithful friend came back when stresses of college and stuff like that. I, reverted back to faithful friend is the addiction the addiction okay. yeah um we go back to masturbation and even end up in a strip joint you know once or twice over the four years of bible college i was on the south side of town um and then i thought you know well I, yeah i got god I, I learned how to fast and to pray study god's word about sexual addiction masturbation was it right or wrong all this kind of stuff then i thought you know if i got married Everything would change, and it did for a while. And then I went back to my faithful friend um, because my faithful friend never turned me down. Uh, my faithful friend was never mad at me um, and or, or didn't want to talk to me or hurt me. It was always there, and so I returned back to that. Then my wife and I, I said, you know, if I just get to my calling in life, 
which was to go to missions. I felt very strongly as a senior in high school that God was calling me into missions. Um, so strongly I wouldn't marry a woman unless she was called willing to go follow that calling or being called herself. And that's why I married my wife. Went to the mission field, got involved with my calling, and it was gone for a while. And then my faithful friend came back in the stresses of living in another culture. So I was very... What country were you guys in? Honduras, Central okay. America. I was very shame-lidden. I believe there's a difference between shame and guilt. Uh, a lot of people interchange those. I think shame makes you hide from God as Adam and Eve did in the garden. And Genesis chapter 1, at the end it says, and they were not ashamed. Uh, chapter uh, 2 and 3, when they, after they sinned, it says they were ashamed. Well, shame hit. really, guilt is, is kind of an action. And hey, I did something wrong. Shame is, you start taking on an identity. I am it, something wrong. It, that's exactly right. And so we're on the same page of that. I didn't know where you were on that. But shame is about I am something wrong. Um, guilt is, a, and I think guilt comes from God. It's not a bad thing. It's called, I call it conviction. It draws you toward God. It draws you toward people. Shame draws you away from people, draws you away from God. And so I was shame-lidden to the point that I, be, I became a very awesome missionary. And I'm not saying that in a prideful way. I'm saying that in a sorrowful way. Uh, when I left the mission field, three men took my place. Of what I was doing. So you're covering all this up with work. Yes. Like you're going. Oh, like yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna prove I'm worth something. I'm gonna. I had I'm to. I'm gonna work my. I had uh, to. God loved me because He had to. Right. Yeah. Because He's God, and I submitted my life to Him, um, but I didn't think He liked me. He couldn't like me. I'm a pervert. You know, I got all these sexual desires in my head. So that was the shame that was driving. So even though I knew my theology, have a master's degree in theology, I knew that theology was wrong, but I thought I could work harder and God would be happy with me. Not for salvation, but to be happy with me. So I was a good missionary, uh, which was de detrimental to my marriage. It was, it was very difficult on my marriage and on my kids because I was traveling all the time. Yeah. Um, finally came off the field and became Latin America director um, for our mission. Um, and so I was, we were living back here and I was traveling to, I had was in charge of 18 missionary families in seven different countries. So I was, every six weeks I was in a different country pastoring my missionaries. I, in Honduras, I trained pastors and as Latin American director, I was a pastor to missionaries. Um, and so traveling a whole, whole lot. And on one of those trips, uh, I had, I had boundaries for me, myself. Uh, I wouldn't go into newsstands because there's always magazines in the back. Yeah. I would never lose and leave an airport because I always had these fantasies going on in my head. Um, but I was very connected with the Lord, very connected with my wife. Actually, on the flight over to Albania, I had read a book completely through and felt very connected with the Lord and growing and got into the through a number of conversations with a, a guy uh, on the flight over there, really encouraged me to go down and see the beautiful city of Amsterdam. Being a preacher boy, I had no idea that Amsterdam was the prostitution capital of the world. Uh, I finally gave in because I was supposed to be there nine hours and there's nothing in Amsterdam airport, at least back then there wasn't. I got on a train. Yeah, there's came, not now. I've been through that airport. There's, there's a train that actually comes right into the airport you can take to downtown. I jumped yeah. on that train. Just to go sightsee? Just to go sightsee. Okay. 
got off the um, um, got off the 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 train. First thing I was offered marijuana. That was one of the things I did in high school. Uh, I was able to turn that down, and and then there was a sex museum. There was just bars at ten o'clock in the in the morning. You know, it was it was just crazy. And long story short, I was unfaithful to my wife, and and the because I went around the corner, went around the corner, and turned the corner, and boom, it's it's one of my fantasy. Just it's like women on both sides of the street, you know, just heckling at you and stuff like that. And I was unfaithful to my wife, which was devastating to me. Um, I got back on that train. More shame. Oh yeah, I mean, you were just going to sightsee. Yeah. And, you know, because he says you can take a lunch on one of those boats on the canals. And I'm going, cool, man. I've seen that in a movie. I love, you know, that's all it was. And boom, it was just came running out of that room after I was unfaithful to my wife, running back to the cha- uh, train. I'll never forget it. It's like yesterday. It was crying. I was sweating, um, talking to God and saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, you know, all, all I can remember is people going on the other side of the street, which I would do too. If someone was crying, sweating, and talking out loud, running down the street, I'd get on the yeah, other side. Yeah, you would avoid that yeah. guy. Yeah, they did. Got onto a train, having this heavy debate with between uh, God and Satan. Um, you know, Satan truly is telling me you don't have to tell anybody. God says I need to, and you don't. Nobody will ever know. I was there by myself. Nobody would. Nobody e- would ever know. Ever yeah. known. And I just knew me. If I didn't confess this, it would be a recurring thing and there would be even more shame to my destruction. And I uh, went home, uh, got on the same plane. I flew it over, came home, told my wife about it and devastated her, devastated her. Um, down in the fetal position in our basement, crying, slapping her face, trying to wake up from a dream, literally. she's just was convinced that she was in a dream because she had dreamed about me being unfaithful to her. Just devastating. Um, long story short, three months in, a mission wanted me to stay, become more of an administrator, not a public figure. Do they know about this at this point? Yes, I called okay. I called my director from Amsterdam and okay. confessed and actually resigned and he wouldn't accept my resignation. But gave me a leave of absence for three months for me to come back to be administrator, and that just wasn't me. I'm a people person, not a desk person. Uh, so I resigned, which was hurtful on both sides, my resignation. But I needed to focus on my marriage. And so we started into intensive therapy and through individual uh, intensive workshops and a couple intensive workshops. And our marriage was saved. Um, I took away from ministry, never planning on going back to ministry uh, for seven years, um, working different jobs. That's how I got into the sales world. That's why I know about the funnel. The What's sales. to say? Yeah, you were in sales for a yeah, while. Yeah, for seven years, basically. And um, saw people talk about the funnel. How do you get you know, leads in, you know, to be able to, you know. I, oh, yeah, not even online. Like, this never, is like stuff, like yeah, physical stuff. Yeah, and so to hear it and to, to apply it to a world that we have because we have a lot of material and stuff like that was, it was just so, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so, um, but anyways, as you know, the church is not very good in caring for their hurting and wounded. Um, yeah, the church is not good at uh, drug addiction. Yeah, they're not good at divorce or any kind of 
and I imagine. Yeah. I mean, I wanted I want, trauma issues. I asked from the very beginning to allow me to go up in front of the church and tell them what I did. Um, and they said no. And so, and I understand why on one sense, but. Um, but then you go, I mean, stats wise. But I mean, my story, how many guys in that? Oh, I don't know which church. We don't need to label them. No, but how yeah. how many guys in that church, whichever one it was, absolutely statistically, would yeah. you say are struggling with some version of the same nonsense? Guys, Sunday school teachers, men in leadership, elders. I knew them personally because after my story went public, because it did, in the way it went public, did you hear about Brother Paul? No. Then a story would come out, pray for him. That's how we Christians gossip. Yeah, that's how you pass the... That's gossip, and God hates gossip. But that's what happened. To the point that we adopted a child from Honduras, and one of the stories was that, that she was my biological child. because I had, That's why we left the mission field, because I got a woman pregnant, and we brought home the child with us. That was one of the stories. Uh, another story was that um, we had a missionary wife was unfaithful to her husband and the story was that she, I, my wife and I went down to encourage them and the reason why we went down there is for her to apologize to Suzanne and for me to apologize to her husband oh, you know geez. those are the two stories I had a good friend finally said Paul we need to talk this is before social media too yeah like, absolutely this is, of course like the church this prayer is chain pray, is faster pray, pray for brother Paul did you hear you know and it was just it was just sad um, but I had a good friend pull me away you know what's being said and it was devastating to me. So I then went back to the pastor and said, I need to speak. This is what's being said about me. Um, and it finally happened about three years into it. I was able to stand in front of all the men in the church. But what's and, crazy is like what you're going to say. Okay, so the gossip's going around. Yeah. And what you're going to drop on them is bigger than the gossip. Yeah. And is actually going to help more people. Absolutely. Than, like, you know, like the clarity of Absolutely. the... Yep. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's how I got into it, Andy. Um, and my wife. As far as sharing the message. Sharing the message. So you go through the therapies, you go through the years yeah. of the healing, and then. Yeah, working, um, enjoyed for the first time in my life making money. Because uh, as a missionary, you don't go in mission work to be wealthy or to make money. Um, you go in because you love people. And so, but I loved making money. I was top salesman in the company, and then I started. I started buying a concrete asphalt business, making good money there as well. First time in, in, in my life, I was writing the checks to missionaries instead of people writing to me as a missionary. Uh, it was just fun. And, but my wife felt about five years into our recovery that we had a message that we needed. To, and I was going, mm -hmm. I'll share the message, but I, and she thought we'd need to go back in full-time ministry. And I said, no. Um, before buying the asphalt concrete company, I went to my pastor because I put myself in church discipline over finances and all that kind of stuff. And so we were very connected with our church um, and very pliable to whatever they taught us. So I went and said, you know, I'm thinking about buying this company. And he says, I really believe God's calling you back into ministry because we were at that time leading the lay ministry, uh, counseling ministry at our church and it was growing. We were training people to help other people. Now it's one of the largest self-lay uh, counseling ministries in, in town. and something that my wife and I started and, and developed for them. Um, but he says, I think God's really using you guys. And I said, 
no pastor. <laughs> I like making money. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go back into raising funds and doing ministry. I just don't want to do it. I don't have the heart for it because it was part of the reason I was at the time was feeling what made me get, cause I was tired of fundraising. I was, you know, I was just down and, and stuff like that. And it's part of the reason why I did what I did. And so I didn't want to associate any more with ministry um, because that was shame leaden for me. Um, and so finally I said, no, I'm going to do this company. We'll talk about it. You know, whatever. Suzanne's sitting there elbowing me. Now the pastor's saying, she's been saying it for a year. Now the pastor's saying, you need to do it. I'm in agreement with Suzanne. And I said, no. Um, about a year later, the person that I was buying the business from was kind of repentive and wanted his business back and started causing a lot of problems. Long story short, I just gave the company back, lost a lot of money by just turning over the keys because of the money that I had paid him already. And, um, and the reason why I did that is because when it was coming down, I went back to my pastor and said, this is what's going on. A year later, and he, instead of consoling me, giving me advice, he laughed at me. He's like, I told you. <laughs> I said, are you ready? He literally, he's, I'd go into this, this is what's going on, this is what should I do. He says he's a Christian, he's not acting like a Christian. Can I take him to court? What, what, you know, and he just, he let me finish. And then he went, <laughs> you ready to stop running from God, Paul? I said, what do you mean? He said, I told you a year ago. God's calling you back into ministry. And Suzanne's over there in tears and saying, I've been telling for two years, Pastor. He's running. And uh, he said something about Jonah. Are you going to keep being Jonah or are you going to submit? Throw me overboard. Yeah. And I resigned right then. I wrote an email to the owner of the business that I was buying it from, said, you can have it. Here's all the keys. Yeah. Uh, he was causing so, so much commotion I moved all my equipment so he couldn't come and steal it because I didn't doubt that he would do that so uh, from that day I went and resigned we had made a, um, a friendship with a counseling firm that was coming in and training our lay counselors and I went to that person and said hey this is what we're planning to do and he says you're you're hired that day and I left my pastor's office went into his office and he said we have a nonprofit aspect this ministry was started as a nonprofit. you can you can use it if you want to use that format or you can just set up shop and do but the way you do ministry couple on couple ministry um you you're, you're not going to be good at a licensed counselor you're going to get reported and you're going to lose your license it's called dual relationships you can't have a friendship outside of the four corners of your office oh yeah and, but our whole ministry and the way we were doing ministry and why marriages were being saved is because we were with them day and night. You know, we would be over in their living room at 11 o'clock drinking coffee. We would go out to dinner with them. We would go out to lunch with them. We lived life with them. We call, what we call is we walked with them. And you can't do that and be a counselor today. You can be a pastoral counselor and do those type of things. But even there's lines there. And so... Um, we went the route of using the ministry and nonprofit, and uh, so we we survived and live off people supporting our ministry that believe in it, and then charging for the services. And one of the things that Amplify has done for us is understand that there's so much out there that we can be generating funds that will be helpful to people uh, without do anything different 
you know, instead of just doing this one thing, there's many things that we can do. But that's where our passion comes from. My wife is able to when the roles are the same way, but we probably, people probably don't understand this is about 30 to 40% of the people come see us. The wife has been unfaithful to the husband. We think this is a man thing, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not. A... And the pornography is not a man thing either. The, the quickest, quickest, how do I say this? The group that's growing the quickest in pornography use is Christian women. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously the abuse thing is not a man thing only either. That's because, exactly like, right. Because go back to the beginning of I don't know how many men have been sitting in my and... office and I tell them my story and they start weeping. Yeah, they're like, are, are you telling me that when I was 12 year old and my next door neighbor's wife did this to me? Yeah. That that was molestation? That was, you know, that was... I didn't do anything, even though yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, they've been carrying it. guilt from something that they didn't. Yeah, yeah. it's just they were just shame lidden that yeah. they had, you know. And but even with me, I would tell guys, you know, when I in the locker room type of deal. Yeah, my first encounter was a twenty-two year old woman. I was just fourteen years old. You know, everybody's high five, and we didn't do fist bumps then, but high five and all that kind of stuff. I was just camouflaging. It was very hurtful once I got exposed, and that's what I tried to do. What. My therapy and um, and what they did and what Patrick Clarence thought, it's it's not about what you're doing. So many people are shamed by what they're doing. The church today piles onto that shame and pointing out you need to quit doing this. Quote this Bible verse 15 times when you're when you're ready to do this, or just stop. Don't take another drink, just stop. Or don't ever masturbate again. Just stop. Don't ever look at pornography, just stop. That's the solution. And there are some people that have just been able to stop and then they become the voice. I don't believe those people ever really stopped. I really don't. I really don't. When I hear someone testify, but it could happen. God can take it away. Yeah, it could happen. It, 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 it could happen. Yeah, absolutely. I've just talked to so many that have given testimonies like myself. Yeah. It stopped, but it really didn't. Um, but so I don't... I don't focus in my therapy on the on the what. I think the true way of healing happens when you focus on the why. Why am I doing this? Why am I having this intimate relationship with masturbation? Why am I having this intimate relationship with alcohol? Why am I having this intimate relationship with marijuana or pills or eating whatever. or shopping? Whatever. Why, why does that what keeps me going? Why? And as you can drill down like they did with me and connect the dots with the why. The what takes care of itself. When you can get down to the why and be able to then identify what's the conviction and the guilt that's coming from God and those messages that I'm a horrible person that's coming from Satan, that shameful messages. Once you can identify those things and deal with the why the what goes away the why still jumps in my face that's what happened a couple of weeks ago the why jumped in my face but i had enough work on the why i knew what i needed to do you gotta navigate out so i didn't have to go back to my faithful friend the what and and my message to everybody out there if you can dive into the why and a lot of people think it's, well, it's because you were molested uh, by a 20... No. 
Patrick Carr teaches the big T traumas, which would be that. Now it's a big T trauma, capital T trauma. But he also has discovered that small T traumas or little T traumas, those things that have been gone on in their family of origin typically over and over and over and over and over and over the lack of certain things, the lack of affection, a lack of affirmation, the lack of touch, the lack, you know, all of those things, the lack thereof are small T traumas. Yeah. And it, he has done studies and has um, um, has proof that, and he's never come right out and say it, so I'm not going to come out and quote him as him saying it. I'm going to get almost there like he gets, that the small T traumas has been shown that they're almost, if not more, damaging to someone who's struggling with addiction. So I have people walk into office and, yeah, yeah I, you know, yeah, I'm, I don't have a sexual addiction. I don't have any trauma in my life. Oh, really? Okay. So we do this exercise it's called the trauma egg, and and there's trauma all over it of the lack of. Yeah. You know, the lack of the presence of father. He was there. They didn't get divorced. He was there, but he wasn't ever present. You know, the lack of or the the over affectionate mother, the smothering mother, that lack of distance, the lack of space. You know, all of those things can multiply. And when you have several of those, like I had in my life, um, those become the why. And then when you can start um, beginning to unpack those, I'll just give you one example. One of my whys is I feel alone. Well, here's the kicker for that. I love being alone. I navigate my time. The when basketball season comes around, the NCAA tournament comes around, I plan out my time so I can watch some basketball by myself. Yeah. I enjoy by myself. But even watching basketball, then there's a time where I can, all of a sudden, I feel lonely. There's a difference between wanting to be alone and feeling lonely. And my guys know when I reach out and I say, I'm feeling lonely, boom. They're on That's me. That's to reach out. Yeah. Boom. They're on me. And I have to be honest with myself. That's one of the whys. There's a, I have six or seven whys. And I have to keep going back to those whys and dealing with the why. And if I deal with the why, I'm feeling lonely. Why am I feeling lonely? The what doesn't happen. Right. Well, man, I appreciate you sharing the story and you know, to kind of bring it full circle, I kind of feel like I'm crash landing it here, but that's fine. The, the whole point of it is like, I want, I want people to see that, you know, the thing that you're thinking might be the disqualifier Absolutely. for you sharing your message. It, Absolutely. it may very well be. That's the thing where you've got common ground with so many other people that you don't even know about that can, mm-hmm benefit from that message. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Back in 2004, people would quote to me all the time and I'm not going to even tell you how I reacted to it, but Romans chapter eight, God works all things out for good. God's going, how is this expletive, expletive? No way is that going to be able to happen in this situation. My whole world has exploded because when I walked away from missions, I was 
I was highly qualified to be a manager of any store or business out there because that's all what I did. Right. I managed people, 18 families in seven different countries. And all I got back was I was underqualified or I was overqualified. I couldn't find a job. Yeah. Okay. And so it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. And, and so people, you know, God's going to work this out for your good. God's going to work this out for your good. I tell men that today, but I also put the qualifier. I, I try to say the whole verse. It says, God will work everything out for our good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you truly love the Lord, and if you're truly seeking out what his purpose for your life, he's going to work it out for your good. First two years, I was in a very desperate place. Shut my Bible. Very dark. Was not worried about what God's purpose was in my life. And I don't think he was going to work that out for my good. But I finally, through therapy, was able to get down to that why. And then I began to love the Lord. Because I truly believed no matter what I did, he loved me. And I truly was able to apply my theology and that he loved me regardless. There's nothing I could do to make him love me less. There's nothing I could do to make him love me more. I couldn't work hard enough. It was the most refreshing thing not to have to do ministry for six years. Yeah. My dad would come up to me, son, when do you get back into full-time ministry? Maybe never. Yeah. Never, dad. This is awesome. I get to help people, get to talk to people, and I have no burden. None. It was awesome. And so now I've learned how to do ministry and not have the burden. I can truly right. do it. I can have someone come in and bear their soul to me and literally walk out of the office and be, and be okay. I used to hold it. But now I tell people and I says, God can work all this out for your good. But you got to make sure you're loving God and you're seeking after what your purpose is in life because of this. And that's what we've done. We've grasped on our purpose in life now is to help others as we have been helped. Help others out of that crisis and into the restoration. Working with a pastor, a former pastor in Australia that's in a crisis. And we're working through the marriage boot camp and they're getting on the other side and they're, they're restoring their relationship. It's awesome. Working with a uh, youth pastor Working, there's a lot of people in ministry come to us because they know we're not going to judge them. Um, but then, you know, there's we have t two people we're working with right now that are that are high into really publicized sexual cases. One here and one in another country um, that we're helping them just walk through that. And so, and I keep telling them it's going to work together for your good. You're going to have a platform like I'm, well, like I have, if you love him. If those. If it's just he doesn't he just doesn't work it out for our good just to work it out for our just, good just, just to work it out for our good. Well, Saint and, Augustine, you know, he he was quoting that verse and he said, "If that's true, if you know all things work together for the good for those who are called according to His purpose and love God," he said that that means that even the things that were done to us work out for our good. That's right. It doesn't mean it's easy, and he doesn't say all things are good. I mean, some things absolutely are horrible. I think he's actually um, implying the bad things are going to work out for our good. Well, that's what yep. Augustine says. That, that means even, he even says, that means even your sin will somehow in that economy work out for your good. Absolutely. Amen. And so, you know, as I, as I close out, I'm going to put some links down below if you want to reach out and get in touch with Paul. Uh, 
if you want to learn more about sharing your message, uh, not to just monetize this whole thing, but a Amplify does exist to help you multiply and monetize your message. That's why we're here. Uh, it is absolutely a business. But the reason we wanted to talk about this today is just to, to show you, hey, sometimes the message comes from the absolute worst place. Mm. And so rather than thinking, oh golly, I've been through this tough season, and so I, I've got something I wanna share, but I, I need to sanitize it, or I need to pick something else, or I need to, you know, that, that might be very well the thing for you to share with others. That might very well be the place that you make your mark. Take a look, all the links are below. I'll see you in the next episode.